I'm Kent Engle, and you're listening to Framework Leadership, a podcast about how to bring your personal life, your organization to the next level. Today, I'm sitting down with Ian Cron. Ian Morgan Cron is an Enneagram expert, best-selling author of popular book, The Road Back to You. As a pioneer in the Enneagram movement, Ian is a sought-after speaker for conferences, corporate boardrooms alike. In addition to writing, facilitating retreats, and speaking around the country, Ian is, a, is an Episcopal priest, trained psychotherapist, so it's my pleasure to welcome you, Ian, to the uh, Framework Leadership Podcast today. Hey, it's really great to be here. Thank you. Let's start out with uh, a, a couple of questions about your background. I mean, you have a variety of, of interests and experiences from, from becoming a priest to a psychotherapist. Tell, tell us a little bit about how did these interests and passions begin uh, stirring in your life and, and, and how did you take it from there? Well, I, I've always been curious uh, about what it is that makes people tick, uh, about the interior worlds of different kinds of people, and uh, that married with my sort of innate desire to help people on their journeys or to ask them to accompany me uh, on mine as we discover together what it means to become uh, full human beings. Uh, I, I oftentimes say that I have a portfolio life. Um, you know, I, I get to do, I have a, you know, a bunch of different things, uh, fill a bunch of different roles. Uh, actually, one of the ones that you actually missed on there is that I, I'm also a, a songwriter here in Nashville. Oh, wow. okay. So that, that also uh, occupies some of my time uh, during a week. So it's wonderful. I get to go from one thing to the next. It's fantastic. <laughs> this, I'm like Tigger. <laughs> this whole process, you just mentioned of becoming, this whole process of becoming, how does that play a role, uh, kind of in a disciplined way, how does that play a role in your day-to-day -day life to really keep you on track and always in that process of becoming and that self-awareness piece? Yeah, I... I'm fortunate that I'm a, a naturally self-reflective person, okay. uh, and my attention is always migrating toward who am I, who am I becoming, uh, am I living into the best expression of, of who I am, and uh, how is that being used in service to the world? Uh, and advancing goodness, if you will, sure, <laughs> into the into the world. So I, I I think it's just a very natural feature of who I am. I, I recognize that other people are not by nature, disposition, temperament as self-reflective as I am. And so I just get a, a charge out of helping people take time who might not otherwise do so uh, to think deeply about their lives. Yeah. One of your gifts, I mean, you, you uh, among many, but you're a great writer. You started writing uh, back in 2007, I believe. Tell us about that process. What's it like to, to write and put what's in your heart and, and, and get that in a way that does come alongside people and help them with their journey? It's hard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's torturous. It's hard. Uh, and it's a real discipline. In fact, I was just writing when uh, we, we started our call uh, and I got lost in it. So I was a few minutes late for this. I, you know, uh, in terms of, of process, I'm always trying to find a voice that's uh, invitational and inclusive. Like, how that's can good. I bring along as many people as I can? in a voice that feels like, hey, 
come with me as I do this. I'm not the expert. Uh, this is my journey, and I would welcome you to come with me on it, and let's just see what we can learn, you know? Yeah. So that's my posture as I, as I write. You, uh, you host your own podcast, uh, Typology. Tell us a little bit about it and what inspired you with this, uh, this per- particular framing in this podcast. Yeah, so uh, we, we often begin the show by saying, welcome to Typology, the show on which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram. Yeah. Uh, initially, the show was a promotional asset after the book came out. I did not know that three years later I would still be doing it, um, but there was a real demand and interest and an audience for it, and I actually fell in love with the format. And uh, as a therapist, you know, for me to sit down and be curious about what other people are like is, you know, it's right in my wheelhouse. So it's a it's a delight to be able to do it. And speaking of the Enneagram, you know, our our mission at uh, Southeastern University where privilege to serve as president. Our, our actual mission states that we uh, we are, are there to help students discover and develop, and we use the phrase divine design. The way they are created may design their gifts, talents, personalities. Um, and, then, and then we get to pour all of the knowledge, wisdom, experiential pieces to their lives. Um, and so this, this whole idea, the Enneagram, I want to dive into that a little bit. Give us a good comprehensive summary for those who may be listening and, and don't know a lot about the Enneagram and, and how valuable it can be to, to uh, our self-awareness. Yeah. Um, so the Enneagram is an ancient personality typing system that teaches there are nine different uh, personality styles in, in the world, one of which we adopt in childhood uh, as a way to feel safe uh, in the world, right, and to navigate relationships. Um, it is a, the, the best tool I know of for helping people develop self-knowledge, self-awareness, and to understand their unique divine design. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting, Calvin, uh, in the opening of the Institutes, begins with uh, without self-knowledge, there is no knowledge of God. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think the pursuit of self-knowledge uh, has been sorely ignored in the Christian world. Uh, I oftentimes will say, and it's a little controversial, that people often use religion as a, as a defense mm. against getting to know themselves. But if Calvin is right... Um, then we do so at our own peril. We need to know and understand ourselves. Right. That's good. And it is, I mean, the Enneagram is a powerful tool when, when we do begin to understand who we are and how we are designed and, and who we can become. What, what would you say are some of the misconceptions about the Enneagram that, that some have about it? There are lots of them. As is always the case, you know, when a when a tool is introduced into the world, uh, you know, people can grab hold of it and take it in all kinds of weird directions. Um, thankfully, I don't see it a lot, but I do see it from from time to time. So the first thing is, is just because you know your enneagram type doesn't mean you know who you are. Uh, okay. Your your enneagram type uh, is simply a low resolution picture. Of, of who you are inside. That said, 
if you get 10% more clarity about who you are and about who other people are, that's a giant step forward on the evolutionary scale. Sure. Uh, I mean, that, that, that gives you a tremendous advantage uh, in the world. Um, you know, I would say that, you know, a mistake people make with the Enneagram uh, is they will use it as a way to dismiss other people. So, so, for example, if I were to say, oh, stop being such a six or stop being such a three, you know, to me, that's weaponizing knowledge that you have now about other people uh, rather than using the Enneagram for what it's intended, which is as a tool to encourage uh, and understand other people as they go on their own journey toward becoming healthier uh, people bearing the image of God well in the world. Yeah. I want to go back to something you said just a couple of minutes ago um, about Christians avoiding understanding themselves. Why do you think that is? What What's behind that? Yeah, well, um, you know, uh, we're not we're not made of glass, right? We can't right. see into ourselves. The journey of developing self knowledge is uh, is a difficult one. Uh, if you think about it, uh, next to God, the greatest mystery you have to face every day is you. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. Uh, and so, uh, gaining self knowledge is also difficult because the unconscious mind has a way of distracting us and uh, getting us to look away from those darker aspects of who we are that make us feel uncomfortable, mm -hmm. right? right? So one of the beauty, beautiful parts of the Enneagram is it not only reveals what's best about you, but also what's worst about you, right? It, it reveals how your blessing uh, is also your curse and how your curse is also your blessing. Mm. So uh, I, I love it for that reason that it, it gives a very uh, rigorously honest assessment of, uh, of people. But, you know, uh, most of us would like to go about our business uh, not having to engage with the shadow side of our, of our, of our type. So I think, Oftentimes, people will use religion as a way of, of defending themselves. It's like, you know, uh, I'm just going to focus everything on following Jesus and getting to know God. Well, I'm all about that. But uh, if we ignore getting to know and understand our, uh, understanding ourselves, well, we are greatly uh, disadvantaging ourselves and we actually become a danger to ourselves and community when we don't know who we are. That's good. What, what does the Enneagram tell us about ourselves that other personality profiles don't? Yeah, and I'm a fan. You know, I'm a fan of Myers-Briggs. I'm a fan of Colby and Hogan and all these different kinds of assessment tools that, you know, uh, help us to gain insight uh, into who we are. What I think makes the Enneagram unique is... Uh, primarily what I just said, which is that it reveals both what's best and worst about us. Mm -hmm. it, it offers a transformational path, I think. Um, it uh, gives also a really powerful amount of insight into who other people are, and it's accessible. 
you, you don't have to go to a three-day workshop and become an you know an expert in what it means to be an ENFP. Sure. I mean, I went to grad school. <laughs> I went to grad school, studied the um, Myers-Briggs as part of a curriculum in grad school for psychology. I still don't know what it means to be an ENFP, you know? Right, so, right. The Enneagram is so narrative and immediately accessible to people that uh, that that too makes it a very powerful tool. Yeah. Now I have uh, I'm surrounded by a great team of leaders, and I have a lot of friends that that are uh, several of them have the same Enneagram number, but they have s different personalities. So how can two people of the same type be so different? Well. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I always, I often say it's like the color spectrum, you know, um, you know, there are a million variations on red or blue okay. or green, but they're all, you know, red, you know, they just happen to be different expressions uh, of red. And so the analogy there, I think is fairly clear. You can have two fives, but both will um, be their own unique shade with its own contrast, its own hue. However, they're both red, meaning they still have, they share the, the same core motivations and underlying assumptions and beliefs, whether they're aware about it, they're just giving expression to them in different ways. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm making a big confession to you right now. I, have, I haven't taken the test yet, uh, but um, I'm told I'm, I'm probably a type eight for sure. Uh, and so I'm, I'm asking, as a leader, what do I need to be aware of being this type, especially in relationally approaching solutions? Because, you know, type eight, you know, we're driven in many ways to to uh, we're going to get right at this immediately. This is how we're going to, you know, approach this solution. I mean, all of those kinds of things. Talk to me a little bit about from the relational dynamic to solution making in that, with that understanding of being an eight. Sure. So uh, the unconscious motivation of the eight is to um, mask weakness and vulnerability uh, from themselves and others by asserting strength and control over others in the environment. Now, if you don't have much self-awareness, you see where that can go bad, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, you probably have lived long enough that you can look in the rearview mirror and see that there have, over the years, been some repeating patterns sure. uh, of behaviors that have not served you well yeah. uh, as a result of that. Now, when you're healthy, you can join the company of other eights uh, like Martin Luther King. Okay. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, you could also be Vladimir Putin. It just really depends <laughs> on, on where you are on the scale of self-awareness and character, right? Yeah. So no, and, when you have, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I, you were mentioning like on, on that path to health. I mean, you write about that in the book, The, the Road Back to You. So I'm, I'm curious, uh, what is that one suggestion you make to people who are trying to move into that health so they can understand the, I guess, the right path, you know, that they need to be on as, as they approach uh, relational solution making? So the first one would be self-knowledge. You have to have the raw data, right? Okay, so this is my architecture. Here's my typical ways of 
acting, thinking, and behaving in, in the world, and then learning how to uh, exercise self-observation and be able to watch how your patterns of thinking, acting, and behaving are affecting other people in real time, you know, throughout the course of a day. Um, so, uh, for example, as an eight, you have really big guns, right? You, you tend to intimidate people, overwhelm people. Uh, sometimes, sometimes people experience you as being, uh, domineering, overly blunt, uh, too aggressive, you aren't probably aware that that's how you're coming off most of the time, mm. right? Yeah. To you, it's just like, no, nah, I'm not mad. I'm not intimidating. I'm just a straight talking guy who, you know, uh, likes to get stuff done. Um, and so if you don't have self-awareness, you could actually be banging guardrail to guardrail through people's lives in the course of the day. Right. Right. Kind of maybe steamrolling people being more of a steamroller than a, than a diplomat. Right. So for you, if you have some self-awareness and some skills of self-observation, you can step back from those patterns and say, okay, in this moment, in this conversation, uh, in this negotiation, in this work, um, how do I need to uh, bring to the fore that which is best about me and make sure that the those darker aspects of my personality don't take charge? So I think that's uh, that's a, a large part of it, right? Yeah, absolutely. A couple more questions, and and then we'll uh, close it out with our fire round. Really appreciate you taking time today to to talk with us. You recently released an online Enneagram course, helping people discover and become their best selves. How does the Enneagram play a role in 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 true leadership development? Oh man, you know I got to say I. Most of my time is dedicated to corporate work. So I'm oftentimes working with CEOs um, and their senior management teams of, you know, Fortune 200 or 500 companies, you know. Uh, so here's, here's a big one. I, I oftentimes tell leaders, one of the worst mistakes uh, a person in authority, a leader can make is to presume that their way of seeing the world is normal. Hmm. Uh, if the Enneagram is right, there are nine kinds of normal. Uh, everybody sees the world through a different lens. They, they make decisions on the basis of different ways of seeing the world. Uh, they relate to people uh, as, you know, through the lens of, of, uh, that's unique to their type. So uh, with leaders, I'm always saying, look, uh, if you presume that your way of seeing the world is normal, that means every other person who you meet who doesn't see the world the way that you do, you will assume that they're abnormal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. True. You know what I'm saying? True. You, you, will, you will think to yourself, well, if you don't see the world the way that I do, there's something wrong with you. Now, what that does is it prevents that leader from tapping into the unique gifts of people who are different from them, who have perspectives and viewpoints that can round out um, decisions that have to be made, data that needs to be gathered. Uh, so being open and being appreciative of difference is one of the great things the Enneagram can give to leaders. Yeah, that's good. You know, as a minister, um, you know, I've always believed, uh, you know, when you look at like the fruit of the spirit, the scripture talks about, 
you know, patience, peace, goodness, kindness. How, how does that, when you look at the Enneagram and you look at what the scripture talks about when it comes to the fruit, how does how do those play together in in relational um, problem solving? Yeah. So I, I I sometimes will teach people that you know there are nine types on the Enneagram and that each of them represents at their best uh, a a picture of the the character and the nature of God. So once who are the perfectionists, you know, I'll say, Hey, you, you really, um, represent the goodness of God. Twos at the helpers. I say the love of God, threes, the glory of God, yeah. fours, the individualist, the pathos and the beauty of God fives. You, and I can go on. Right. Sure, sure. So, so each type brings something to the table, uh, that is absolutely necessary. And the hand can't say to the foot, you know, we don't need you. Right, the foot can't right. say to the eye, we exactly. don't need you. Well, we need all nine types uh, to be functioning at their best in the body of Christ and corporations and, well, whatever the setting may be. And uh, so let me give you an example of this. I, I'm a four on the Enneagram. That's an individualist. And we are people who are incredibly emotionally attuned to ourselves and to other people, right? Mm -hmm. So it's very easy for me to walk into a room. And I, so as a feeling-based person, I often make decisions on the basis of intuition, right? Oh, That's sure. a very strong thing for me. It isn't for you as an eight, mm. but it is for me. Um, so I, when I need help from a friend or when I'm trying to make a decision or solve a problem, um, I have lots of friends who are fives and they are primarily thinkers who are tremendous when it comes to analyzing their, their, their powers of analysis are unparalleled, right? And they tend to be emotionally uh, detached and uh, not nearly, uh, they, they, they're very rational creatures. They take them, they, they pride themselves on their rational powers, right? So I don't, you know, when I got to make a decision or solve a problem and I'm just flooded with feelings and I know intuition is not the, the whole basis that I should be working on. I go to a five friend, you know what I mean? And I say, sure. hey, here's the problem I need to solve, or here's the decision I need to make. Here is the, the facts surrounding that, that problem or decision. Uh, could you just tell me from a very detached uh, you know, uh, point of view, an objective point of view, what you think I should do? Because you're a thinking-centered person, I'm a feeling-centered person, and I need to hear from that more rational, rational voice. Logical, sure. So this is this says a lot about team building, the kind of people you should have around you. Uh, and just because I have that self-awareness, I know I got a limited point of view here. I need to go to somebody else who has different gifts than I do to kind of speak into the problem that needs to be solved here. Yeah. Tremendous, tremendous help. That's good. One final question before we hit the fire round. Uh, you mentor a lot of young people through your teachings. You have three kids of your own. What's what's a, one piece of, a, of leadership advice that you would give young leaders to build in daily discipline for self-awareness, self-knowledge? Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, I must tell say, get to know the Enneagram. Uh, it's uh, it's a pretty powerful tool. I happen to be a big believer, obviously, as a psychotherapist, that that counseling is of enormous value to people. You you need people to come alongside you, and I think 
you know, one of the things I, I tell teachers all the time is your task is to save people time. And, you know, like my kids, they learn the Enneagram in their early 20s, late teens. And I can just tell you, like, I have an eight daughter, but she's 28 years old. I have saved her time. I, you know, in other words, I, I have spared her heartache by, by really introducing her to the Enneagram. And now she has a level of self-knowledge that eclipses virtually all of her peers. Right. And so I'm helping her not fall into the same potholes that other people her age are going to fall into. And, or I'm going to save her time in terms of how long she's going to stay in that pothole. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right. Yeah. So, I I mean, I think the Enneagram is a great tool. I would also say, and unfortunately, we don't see this as much as as we used to, but it it obviously can still be done, which is read, read, read. Yeah, that's good. And I don't mean just blogs. I mean, read books, read novels. And if you want to understand human beings, read novels, not just, you know, books that are, you know, nonfiction, self-help or leadership books. But if you want to understand the dynamics and the world in which people live, you should be reading as much as you possibly can all the time. All right. We're going to close this out with a quick fire round of questions. I got three for you. You just mentioned read, read, read. What's the last great book you, you've read? Woo! Oh, man. The last great novel I read was The Art of Fielding, uh, which was a, just a tremendous book. Um, I, you know, God, I do so much reading around the Enneagram and psychology right now that probably wouldn't be all that helpful to uh, to to folks that are are in your audience. But um, I think uh, another great book that I've read recently. Um, there's a book by a guy named uh, Robert Johnson called Owning Your Shadow, hmm. which I found very good. It's a very short book. Um, and, uh, I read another really short book the other day that I loved, uh, called self knowledge, which, uh, is found if you go to the school of life.com, uh, it's a site that Alain de Botton, uh, sort of runs and he's got a bunch of small books that are fantastic. And the one called self knowledge is really helpful. All right. Second question. What historical leader, living or dead, would you most like to sit down and have a cup of coffee with? Mm. Thomas Merton. Hmm. Uh, Thomas Merton, Catholic priest, uh, world-class author uh, and thinker, died in 1968. Uh, His books uh, had a profound impact on me as a a young man um, and continued to be of great value to me as a, as an older guy. Final question. What's your next big, big dream you want to accomplish? Oh, besides taking over the world and becoming <laughs> inestimably rich. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay. Well now we just put my shadow side on the table. <laughs> right. uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, if I, if I could do anything, I would open a retreat center here in Colorado, a world-class retreat center where I could gather great thought leaders and thinkers and bring them together with other people to grow uh, into their best selves and have a beautiful campus and uh, in, uh, in driving distance of Nashville and uh, have artists and 
theologians and thinkers and you know leaders come in to share their wisdom and uh, help people realize deep inner transformation. That's good. Well, Ian, so grateful for your powerful voice, your value on you know the importance of being disciplined and self-awareness and self-discovery and knowledge and, and self-management. It's just so significant in the journey of understanding who you are and, and who you can become. It's been a pleasure to talk with you today. For more on Ian Cron, you can follow him on Instagram at Ian Morgan Cron or check out his website, iancron.com. Again, Ian, thanks for joining us on Framework Leadership today. It was fun, fun, fun. Thank you.